Good afternoon, everybody, and uh, thank you for inviting me to share with you a brief uh, analysis and description of how my country uh, moved from being in the early decades of my life almost entirely dependent on imported oil and coal over to becoming 100% uh, renewable energy for all our electricity production and house heating. Proving indeed that it can be done. And if you are in the group of people who often say when this is stated, yes, it's easy for you in Iceland, let me remind you that it was not so. It was a journey full of mistakes, challenges, difficulties, failures, financial crisis, court wars with the British, as well as various other negative conditions. But in the end, we managed to greet the 21st century as a 100% renewable energy, energy country. And when we get enough electric cars in the coming years, we hopefully can become the first country in the world where all land-based activity derives its energy from renewable, renewable resources. The uh, transformation looks somewhat like this, starting just before the uh, half of the, uh, the, around 1950, where Coal and uh, oil were still predominant in our uh, energy mix, as you can see on the graph, and gradually increasing our hydro and geothermal potential and eliminating coal and oil, enabling us to uh, share with Norway uh, for a considerable time the distinction of being 100% uh, renewable uh, energy. And let me remind you, as the Foreign Minister of Norway did at the COP21 earlier today, that Iceland and Norway also share the fate that in the beginning of the 21st century, we were, um, uh, beginning of the 20th century, we were among the poorest countries in Europe. That's why, uh, together with Ireland, a high percentage of our population moved to Canada and the United States before modernization started in our countries. So when you look at the extraordinary record of Iceland and Norway in the field of renewable energy, reaching 100% as this graph shows, we started from an advantage point which was perhaps less favorable than most other countries in Europe. But the good news is that now we are being joined by countries in other parts of the world, like, uh, like Mozambique and Paraguay, and one of the interesting lessons of the COP meeting here in Paris is not only to learn about the ambitious plans of many countries to increase their shares of renewable, but how many countries in the so-called developing world are beating Europe and uh, the United States and other Western countries in reaching a higher percent of renewable resources than the so-called advanced world. But if you had visited Reykjavik, by the time uh, I was born, it would have looked like this, covered daily by uh, the coal smoke cloud coming from the coal fires uh, in the town, uh, a city where the coal harbor uh, was perhaps a big part of our transport system, receiving every week coal ships from Britain and Germany 
and others. And of course, it had an impact on the health, on the breathing, and other aspects. Today, this cold, cloud-covered city looks like this. Of course, transparent, clean, fresh air, but above all, having reduced the CO2 emission from the central heating alone in the city from being over 250,000 tons in the early 1960s down to zero. It is an important demonstration that when we look at energy innovation in the 21st century, a century where by the end of it, a large part of the global population will live in cities, that we have to start discussing how are we going to heat and cool the cities without uh, increasing the CO2 emissions. And there, the geothermal potential, the heat which is in fact under almost every city in the world, has sufficient potential to power the heating and the cooling uh, of the cities. So when we look at the potential of geothermal innovation, for example, we should not just concentrate the discussion on the uh, uh, on the electricity production, but also face this challenging question, how are we going to heat and cool the uh, global cities in this and the next, next century? Another lesson from our journey is that the renewable energy transformation gradually creates what I have come to call a clean energy economy, with a major emphasis on the word economy rather than energy. Because that is a very important mission of the benefits of this transformation, that it opens up a multitude of new dynamic business opportunities, even in areas where most people would have thought an energy transformation had nothing to do with it. So gradually, during a period of 30 or 40 years, we built in different parts of Iceland geothermal power stations, hydro stations, uh, be making sure in some of the design of the newest ones that they can also receive the great amount of tourists that come to Iceland now every year just in order to witness for themselves what a clean energy economy actually looks like in practice. Because for most people, a clean energy economy or a clean energy society is a concept, is a vision, is not part of the practical everyday experience. So that is why, for example, this power station in Iceland receives uh, now every year about 20% of all the tourists that come to Iceland who pay an entrance fee to see a power plant. <laughs> and there we have built various educational facilities to make people realize how this transformation can also be executed in their own country. So they marvel at the pipelines and the infrastructure and go back having accepted this lesson that it can also be done in their own country. But as I said before, it has also served as a basis for a fantastic diversification of our economy. That's why companies like Rio Tinto, Alcoa, Century Aluminium, all now operate aluminum smelters in Iceland. And the primary reason why these global conglomerates decide to base their operation in Iceland is that aluminum produced by 100% renewable energy has a stronger marketing position than aluminum produced largely by fossil fuel. Just think of the electric car, which uses that metal to a large extent, and how more environmentally friendly the car is 
the moment it is started for the first time, if the material comes from this process. It's also the reason why, despite the financial crisis and the collapse of the banks in Iceland, these aluminum companies decided to stick with Iceland. And it shows the advantage of a long-term renewable energy investment that although Rio Tinto terminated all investments globally for almost two years after the fall of Lehman Brothers, the first decision they took for global investment was to modernize their smelter in Iceland for half a billion US, US dollars. That was in 2010, where most of Europe still thought we were a failed, uh, failed economic, uh, economic state. And then in the last 10 or 15 years, this has also drawn increasingly data storage uh, to Iceland, making that addition a fascinating new dimension in our economy in the 21st century, combining the climate in Iceland, the renewable energy, and also the democratic openness of the country to make it a favorable spot for uh, data storage. But in addition, in the, food, in the field of food processing, it has also enabled us to advance in the last 30 years extraordinary extensive greenhouse agriculture. Whereas we imported almost all this stuff before, tomatoes, cucumbers, whatever, we now grow it 80, 90% in our own country. And in addition to the power plants, these greenhouses have also become a tourist, tourist uh, attractions. And a farmer in Iceland and his family got the Agricultural Innovation Prize last year because they received in their family-based greenhouse 40,000 tourists who also paid an entrance fee <laughs> uh, to witness what a geothermal greenhouse agriculture actually looked like. And then fish farming, using the geothermally heated water, even taking the ocean water from the cold North Atlantic, and producing, as we are doing now, Senegal sole, which, as the name indicates, is a warm water fish, but using the geothermal sources to heat the North Atlantic Ocean, as you could do in Scotland, uh, we are now producing, having plans to produce every year, 2,000 tons of Senegal uh, sole. And let's not forget the Blue Lagoon, one of the most famous tourist locations in the world, a location which National Geographic chose two years ago as one of 25 most remarkable places on the planet. Quite extraordinary. All the other 24 were created by God Almighty. But the Blue Lagoon was, cre was created by a spill of water from a geothermal power plant. And we actually charge now every tourist 40 euros to <laughs> to bath themselves in a spill of water from a power plant. <laughs> and National Geographic, which is a pretty respectable publication, has chosen that as one of the 25 most remarkable places on the planet. I could, in fact, go on long into the afternoon, giving you all kinds of examples like this. Uh, for example, growing barley in uh, greenhouses using the geothermal and on the basis of that product creating a, a liquid which uh, makes your skin much younger, being uh, covered in, by every fashion magazine uh, in the world. A high-selling product being possible and therefore 
enhancing the beauty of individuals who use it by the geothermal energy transformation. But perhaps in a global sense, more importantly, we have taken this journey, the lessons, the technology, the education to other parts of the world. We have, in fact, as you can see here, in the last 30 years, trained over 500 specialists from Africa, Asia, Central and Latin America, engineers, technicians, sending them back to their country so they can be the technical know-how to transform the energy system uh, of their countries. In addition, and, and this is a group of the alumni of the geothermal training program in Iceland at the World Congress of Geothermal was held in Bali in 2010. We have also, through the Icelandic drilling company, helped countries in other parts of the world to start uh, the drilling process. But our wall on this map, the red dots, are the uh, Icelandic part uh, participation projects uh, in the geothermal field. And just think about it. Because we are a very small country. I sometimes say, if you don't quote me on, on it, almost a ridiculously small country <laughs> of about 300,000 people. And a third of that are kids, teenagers, and old age pensioners. So it's basically 200,000 people. <laughs> I mean, that's not funny, but it's a lesson to others. If 200,000 people can be partners in renewable projects in so many different parts of the world in the last few decades. Imagine what the bigger countries, the leading powers, the bastions of technology and finance could do to our entire planet in the next 10 and 20 years. If my small country can, on the basis of what we did when we started as one of the poorest countries in Europe, a nation of farmers and fishermen laying pipes in mud streets and then evolving to selling electricity to aluminum smelters and creating an extensive tourism on the basis of our renewable energy success, that the world is now ready to receive the support and uh, the cooperation in this field. And perhaps the most fascinating example of our cooperation is China. In 2002, I was privileged as president to welcome then-president of China, Chiang Zemin, to Iceland. And I took him to what was then the most modern geothermal power plant in our country. It was an historic event in the 5,000 years history of China because never before had the leadership of that country been to a geothermal power plant. But the delegation were all engineers. And they became absolutely fascinated. So the program got delayed and the protocol became very uh, disturbed and uh, concerned because it was delayed and delayed because the president stayed. And when he went back to China, he started looking into the possibilities in China, which had never done before. And the end result is that now, for the last 10 years, we have uh, executed a fascinating cooperation, primarily with Sinopec, taking one district, one city after another in China, closing down the coal-based urban heating system and replacing it with clean energy geothermal because China is very rich in low and medium uh, t t 
temperature geothermal potential. The electricity potential in China remains to, remains to be studied. And we have also cooperated with the technical and the scientific uh, field in China in this area. And what we are seeing now is all over China, there are urban heating systems being created. And we are even seeing one Chinese city in Xiangxian looking like our capital Reykjavik. This is a picture of a Chinese city, whether you believe it or not. <laughs> Completely clean air, no smoke, because it has become the first completely geothermal urban heating city in China. And in the way they operate, once they have done it in one place, they are ready to do it everywhere. And that is why we now have the largest geothermal cooperation in the world between Iceland and China, demonstrating how new and old cities need to be to transform their heating and cooling system over to this resort. Similarly in Africa, we have been cooperating and educating and training people in the Rift Valley countries in Africa. Fantastic cooperation with Kenya, Djibouti, Ethiopia and others. And one of the results of that cooperation is that we are now starting a cooperation together with American investors to build in Ethiopia the largest geothermal power plant in the continent. 1,000 megawatts when it is ultimately finished. A project which my colleague in the White House has put on the list of the Obama Power Africa project, although, sorry to say for him, it's entirely based on Icelandic technology uh, and know-how. <laughs> but it is a good example of how countries strong in finance and investment potential can partner up with the rest of us who are perhaps small but rich in experience and technology to get this uh, uh, result. There are many who tell me when they listen to this story, yes, it is easy for you in Iceland because you have volcanoes, you have earthquakes, you can do it. They forget that the fireball inside the earth which we all learn about at school, is under every country, every continent, indeed every ocean in the world. It's only a question of technology and drilling and the purpose of the energy you want to harness when we come to conclude the potential in each, in each country. And the total potential is unbelievably great, as this graph shows, based on the MIT a MIT study a few years ago. If we only harness 0.1% of the heat potential inside the Earth, it would be sufficient to power the present global energy consumption for 10,000 years. And thanks partly to the oil and gas industry, we have developed drilling technologies and expertise in the last 30 or 40 years, together with also the geothermal experience of Iceland, New Zealand, and other countries. But now we can actually do it. But we don't do it on the basis of grand schemes of, or grand projects. We do it actually house by house, street by street, village by village, district by district, city by city, until in the end, 20 or 30 years later, as we did in Iceland, the entire country has been transformed.
So my dear friends, it's not only possible. We already have the existing technology. I'm a bit disturbed when I hear here in Paris distinguished global leaders say we need to invest in cutting-edge technology in the next 30 or 40 years and see what they come up with. Yeah. We already have the existing technologies to transform the global energy system in a comprehensive way towards renewable. We don't have to wait for discoveries in the next 20 or 30 years, although they are welcomed. So if you present the image that we have to wait for some great technical breakthrough that require billions of dollars to be financed, that's a highly misleading message, somewhat a dangerous message because it can provide an excuse. Because we already have, as my country and many others have demonstrated, all the necessary technology at our disposal. And what is more, they make a great economic sense. One of the major reasons why we recovered after the banking collapse so effectively, so early, was the previous long-term renewable energy investment in my country in the previous 30 years. We would not be where we are today after the collapse of the banking system if we had not executed that comprehensive renewable energy transformation. So even as a guarantee against the fluctuations in the financial market, a renewable energy transformation makes an extraordinary good economic sense. That is my concluding message, but I will share with you a new video of about two minutes or so that presents the image of my country in perhaps a more beautiful way than I have done in my speech. Thank you very much.